don't be afraid to give testing a go. If you've never tested before, use a tool such as Playwright that is very easy to get started and just test one thing and then come out and say, well, I've tested that and then move on. Don't like take the biggest challenge. Just take a small thing and start with that and just start getting testing happening. Welcome back to Pod Rocket. I'm Emily, producer for Pod Rocket, a web development podcast from LogRocket, and today we're answering your questions about testing. A lot of you over the past couple of months have written into us with frustrations and questions about testing specifically. So we're taking the time today to talk to our panel of experts to answer your questions. But before we get into it, let's welcome the panel. First, we have Debbie O'Brien, Senior Program Manager at Microsoft for Playwright. Welcome back, Debbie. Can you give us just a brief overview about what you do and what your work is like? Hi. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So basically, my job is to make the Playwright community even bigger than it is and make Playwright known. So I'm doing everything that you can absolutely imagine that involves the community from conference talks to creating content to our Discord channel and just getting as many people out there in the world involved in this great community. Next, we have Kenzie Dodds, a full-time software educator through his sites Epic Web, Epic React, and Testing JavaScript. Welcome back as well, Kent. Can you also just give us a little brief overview about what you do? So I teach people how to build excellent software, and hopefully we all work together to make the world better by building excellent software. And testing is definitely one of the things that I have opinions on and teach people those opinions on testing JavaScript. So happy to be here. Absolutely. Happy to have you. And then finally, rounding out our experts, we have Gleb Bakhmutov. Gleb is a senior director of engineering at Mercari. Welcome back, Gleb. And can you also tell us what you do and what your work is like? Hi, everyone. Thank you for inviting me. For the last four years, I was at Cyprus building the test runner. And I left Cyprus. And two years ago, I joined a company, Mercari US, which is online marketplace. I'm responsible for building automation testing. And daily, we run more than 700 full end-to-end tests. In my free time, I try not to read YouTube comments because every time I read something about testing, I was like, "Ah, I have to write another blog post to explain it or record a YouTube video and post it or something because I cannot let a testing question left unanswered. Well, very glad you're here because we have so many questions to answer. So thank you all for joining us. And finally, we have Sean Raymond one of our PodRocket hosts and software engineer at LogRocket. Welcome back as always, Sean. Hello, everyone. Yeah, thanks for letting me crash the party today. Welcome. And now we can get into our questions. Everyone has been sending in questions over the past couple of months specifically about testing. And I'll start off with one of our listeners, Pulkit. He wrote into us saying, I recently started testing using Jest and React testing library. The major issues I face are testing legacy code and the basic principle of what and how to test. Sometimes it feels like we are just mocking everything and not really testing the actual code. So with this, I would start very basic. What should devs be focusing on when testing and what are some basic testing actions devs can take? I don't mind jumping in first here. I forgot to mention I did create React Testing Library, and so I do have opinions about this. One of the things about Testing Library, one of the original motivations for creating it was the de facto standard for testing 
was, at least for React, was a tool called Enzyme, which supported a pattern called shallow rendering. It mocked every single component that the component under test rendered, which is such a bad idea in so many ways. And I've got a blog post about this on kinseydots.com. So I first just want to clarify that there's nothing about React testing library that suggests that you should be mocking everything. And in fact, it's very much the opposite. I am of the opinion that you want to mock as little as possible. And the primary things that I typically do mock with the test that I'm using testing library for is HTTP requests and sometimes animations, timers, that sort of thing. Occasionally, if you have a React component that is just very slow, like a data grid or something like that, provided that itself is well tested, I might mock that as well, but only if it is showing some performance issues with my tests. And I have a pretty high threshold on that as well. So I'd much rather have my test take a little bit more time and get a lot more confidence then start mocking everything and speed up my tests. I can empathize with the feeling of like, oh, I just feel like we're testing for test sake. If that is what is happening, then things need to change. So how can developers get away from testing for test sake? You have to find something that developers hate even more than testing, right? In, in my case, it's like updating Jira stories, Google Docs about technical scope of a project, the current status updates. So to me, if you explain to them, if you can show your test, right, with screenshots or videos, right, of your test run, running like all the time, then this is the state of your application, state of your feature. So if you switch and say, okay, instead of updating all these Google Docs about where we are and constantly syncing, you write a test that goes and shows a feature in action, that's the state of a project. Then you don't have to do all these manual kind of updates and document it. That's it. The test actually shows the state of a project and the, how the feature is supposed to work. So testing is good because it eliminates all this extra work for you. So if you can convince them, I think they'll be more willing to say, yeah, yeah, I'll write a test, right? Because I don't want to do all this other stuff. And you've also got to make sure that writing tests is easy because if it's too hard and going to take too long, then they tend to stay away from it. This kind of goes into my next question a little bit. Another listener, Amin, wrote in and said, mocking is the most boring, badly managed aspect in most of my teams, including mocking of a fetch API, libraries, and imports. So how can these devs make it less boring or less tedious, like you guys are saying? And how can they better manage this process within teams? We get a lot of questions about team management. So I think this is like pretty pertinent. Before Kent answers, I've written what I think Kent will say on a piece of paper. Let's see if I'm right. Less mocking. I'm going to say less yeah. mocking you've written on that paper. <laughs> you want to avoid <laughs> testing implementation details. Is that what you wrote? No, I, I don't know. That's no, I'm curious. <laughs> I, I think you also just a tool or library, right? Oh, yeah. Mock, uh, yeah, MSW. I was going to say that as well. I know my Kent. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a blog post titled Stop Mocking Fetch. If you are mocking Fetch directly, you got to stop doing that because we've got a really great tool. It is MSW. And we also have Cypress and Playwright represented here as well. And each of those tools 
have HTTP mocking capabilities. A mocking fetch, it's something that I used to do a long time ago, and it was a huge pain then. It's a huge pain now. We've got way better tools now. So don't bother with that. Mocking modules, we talked about a little bit earlier. The reason that mocking is something that you want to avoid is because it is basically poking a hole in reality. And then eventually your boat's going to sink. Like you got to patch up all these holes with just a ton of code to make sure that your interfaces are being called correctly and everything. And you end up in a situation where your tests have to be changed whenever you refactor. One of the main benefits of tests is to confirm that you didn't break anything when you refactored. So if you have to change it when you refactor, then what is the test there for? I have another blog post called Avoid the Test User, where I talk about the two users that our code is supposed to cater for to. And that is the end user who's going to be clicking the buttons and whatever, and the developer user who's going to be rendering the component and passing the props or calling the function or whatever. Those are the two users that your test should care about. And there's a third user that slips in sometimes, and that's the test user. And that is what happens when you start mocking out your code, where you have to say, well, this is going to be called X number of times, or this is going to be called with these props or whatever. The only thing in your code base that cares about those implementation details are the tests. And so by definition, when you change the implementation, you will have to change your test. And that is just super unfun completely. Your test should look like and only do the sorts of things that your end user and your developer user are going to do. If it's doing anything beyond that, then it's not going to be fun at all. And it's not going to be very helpful. Kent has a blog post for everything. <laughs> <laughs> He's quickly searching right now for a blog post. I, I think actually, I'm pretty sure that Gleb has more blog posts than I do, but I do have a lot of blog posts. The mocking, right? It's like what Ken said before. The problem with Enzyme and testing components was it was doing shallow rendering. And when you mock components somewhere in your code, you actually don't allow the actual code to propagate. So you're doing not shallow, but almost like somewhere in between, right? Between shallow and full rendering, you're mocking at some different levels. And like, how can we call it something between shallow and full depth testing? It's like bog, right? A swamp where sometimes you sink in, but you got stuck in all these implementation details if you're trying to change something. So my advice is try to at least mock at the periphery, mocking network requests when they happen and go outside the browser. Then you mock them and stop. Maybe mock the file system, but don't mock the code that accesses the file system because those implementation details will change. Mock at the well-defined boundary outside of your code, and then you can refactor safely. And the test user will be realistic. Which brings me to another point is like, stop using Jest to test the browser code. And I know people will go crazy, but Jest actually does a lot of mocking of the browser, of all the dumb APIs and events and everything. And at some point you'll be testing something that might not necessarily work in a real browser. And right now with all the tools moving towards running your tests for browser code into the browser, but Jest creates an obstacle for that, which is almost like you mocking everything. So maybe consider better tooling rather than just and dumb emulation. What would be some good tooling? Yeah, I mean, you've got Playwright, obviously, you've got Cypress. And I would also say writing more end-to-end -end tests, like using those tests, making it more like less unit tests, more end-to-end -end tests, so that you're testing what the user is seeing, what the user is doing, and concentrate more on that. Playwright, definitely. Cypress component testing, definitely. Even the storybook, ability to render your full component while shallow rendering is really powerful. 
A listener, Mehdi, wrote in to say, I want to ask how to convince my team to implement testing. My company is completely dependent on manual QA, which sounds like a nightmare, honestly. How can devs either convince their teams to implement testing requirements, or how can teams begin to slowly adopt a testing approach versus a manual QA approach? It's really hard, and I had this problem as a team lead in my previous companies working for an agency where they want to cut the budget. And the first thing they do is they delete all the testing from the budget and say, right now, this is it. So we have to try and get developers to sneak the testing in. So testing is not seen as an afterthought of something like I've built everything and now I'm going to test. Testing as you're going along, it's part of the development process. So make it part of like you're building that component and you're testing. You're not just building the component and later testing. And once it becomes part of something, a habit that you're normally doing, then it's just like, you're not asking, can you do testing? Developers really need to push for that because managers are just going to say no to testing, no to accessibility, no to anything that they don't see as important because they're not seeing the value. I have a blog post about this. It's called <laughs> Business and Engineering Alignment. The subtitle is how to get whatever you want. And the trick is that you might need to change what you want. But in this case, I think there's a pretty good case for testing. The idea is you need to establish what is the goal of the organization and how is the thing that you want going to help you get to that goal better. In the case of testing, relying so much on manual QA is probably slowing you down a fair bit. You're shipping more bugs. There are some pretty clear things, but your job as an engineer trying to convince management to invest in this is to identify very specific things that are happening as a result of your lack of focus in testing and then associate that to the goals of the organization and say, hey, listen, we're trying to ship these widgets but we keep on shipping bugs instead. And so we're slowing down on our ability to accomplish our mission of shipping widgets. And we could speed that up a lot by having these tests in place. And so I suggest you give that blog post a read because it goes a little bit more in detail on how you can have those conversations. Once you've gotten the management buy-in, then getting developer buy-in like W suggested is really important. One other thing that W suggested earlier is just making it easy. It is just so much harder for developers to be interested in testing if it's a real big pain. And so if you're that one engineer who's like, we've got to get good at testing, then be the one engineer who builds all the utilities, makes it really easy to write a test that is authenticated. That's probably one of the hardest things when you're getting started with testing is how do I get my test into an authenticated state and then make sure I clean up afterward and have all that happen automatically. I just call this little function and poof. Now I can start doing things like an authenticated user with data seeded into the database or whatever level you're at, but just make it so that there's a clear path because Developers who are not really interested in doing it aren't even going to begrudgingly do it if it's hard. Can I add that I don't have a blog post? I don't remember if I have a blog post, <laughs> but I do have a bunch of presentations about this because this is something I went through when I joined Mercari with specifically why they brought me in, how to create automated end-to-end -end testing, not the unit testing. The web team was really good about unit tests. Kent is absolutely right. You have to align the business goals with your technical goals, but the problem is, there are so many subdivisions in the company that the goals might be very different between people. So you have to identify all the key players, the management, and the management only cares how much will it cost and what it will give us. So you have to give them specific case for testing, right? Fewer bugs, more revenue, not lost, and so on. But web developers, you have to identify arguments for them. Good tooling will make you more productive. 
everyone wants to be more productive. But there is one other area where you have to be very careful, I believe, and it's the existing manual quality assurance people. Because every time you say automation, they're here, we're going to all be fired. Lose our job. Right? And, and you want to be very careful about approaching that and say, I'm going to have this big initiative here. So we've done a lot of training. We allow people to dip their toes into automation, right? After training with like automation group help, right? Like Ken said, be the champion of automation so that everyone has a question. You're like, I'll do it. I'll remove this obstacle because I have a knowledge. And then the QA team will actually be interested in automating low-hanging fruit because you automate only the boring stuff, the exploratory, performance, accessibility testing. They all are manual. They require intelligence. And mm -hmm. by giving the QA people this kind of skills and removing automation from their plate, you actually let them do more interesting stuff. And then everything is good. Next question we have is from Glenn, and they write in saying, what are some tips for staying disciplined on writing tests? For teams that don't force unit testing on checked-in code, it's hard to be a good example and write the extra code. This is coming from someone who refactors a lot and hates sloppy code otherwise. So what is your advice to this person? First of all, making it easy to add a test because you just finished your feature you're ready to go. You're going to close your laptop. You're ready to be done. And then you're like, oh yeah, I forgot a test. If it's really easy to add a test, then you'll just like, yeah, I'll throw that together really quick and then move on. If it's hard, then you're like, nah, I'm going to go enjoy my weekend. And so I think that's one critical piece. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's important to apply test-driven development. I do have a blog post about when I use test-driven development, and it is really not very often. In my work, it's a lot of exploratory stuff, and we're not sure what the feature is going to be. And, you know, We want to just play around with different things. You don't want to test drive something like that. But it's very clear what this bug is. Try to reproduce that with a test first. And so there are definitely situations where test-driven development can help you. Like I especially love reproducing a bug with a test first. And I do this in small projects in open source and big products as well. And that's another really good way to manage that. New features are a little bit harder to test drive, but bugs try to test drive that. I think it comes down to training as well. Like when you have your team, they probably don't know how to test or don't know what to test or don't feel confident in testing. So you really have to help them, give them an example and just be there for them to say, it doesn't matter if you write a bad test, I'll check it over, I'll look over it. And writing a bad test is a way of learning to then write a better test, right? So it's not really bad in a way. Also, we have great tools out there that generate the tests for you. So now it's easier for you to actually just write the tests and get started. But yeah, we need more education and testing in general, I think, in the whole world. Because standing over someone and saying, I'm not going to merge your PR until that test is written just doesn't work. <laughs> and to me, it all comes down to feedback, right? What's the quality of feedback you get from your tests? You don't have to use watch mode to get instant feedback as you work, right? When I work on a feature, I want to see it work. And the test is just running next to my code and it tells me right away, hey, this is broken. Oh no, this is working. And then immediately, as soon as I push, I want to get feedback that the things that I changed actually are green, right? The things that I touched, at least was like maybe it's based on the change spec files running first. And I immediately know I did not break something. For example, track code coverage, I could say, yes, whatever I changed in my code, the corresponding things were test it. As soon as you get this quality high feedback, you'll be like, so yeah, I have to update the test because pretty much my happiness level depends on them. 
my productivity, my pull request being always green and ready to go. So the second thing, how not to be sloppy? You have to pull request review your testing code as well. A lot of people let the test merge by default and review the production code. And I was like, no, no, you have to review both together. It's the same quality standard. We kind of touched briefly on automated testing, and we did get a question specifically about automated testing. Dave asked that they wanted to find the right balance between automated testing and manual testing, specifically ensuring automated tests are useful rather than just using them as cursory tests. With that being said, are there ways that devs can make automated tests more effective rather than putting more time and effort into manual testing? And again, kind of back to the other point, like how do we make sure that people don't feel they're losing their jobs because things are automated? Well, on the first point, if the people who are manual testers want to differentiate themselves, they can learn how to automate their job and be the one who's doing the automating. The fact is that the business will be more successful automating its tests. There's no argument against automation just being better. That said, as far as the balance between manual and automated, sometimes the thing that you're working on is just not that important to need to have an automated test. Like we're doing an event this weekend. I need to test that the banner shows up properly. And that's the only time. It's just this weekend. I'm not writing an automated test for that, friends. I just will not. I get a lot of traffic from my blog and that's indirectly goes to my courses and stuff. I'm not making money off of my website. So yeah, I do have some tests, but actually they fail constantly on CI and I do not block deploys because of my failing end-to-end tests because it's my blog. Who cares? It's fine. I'll go update them eventually and they can be helpful sometimes. Um, So there is a balance. You have to just decide how critical is this thing to not fail. And there's certainly some things that I just wouldn't bother testing. In fact, I see testing as requiring the same currency as all the other development we do. And that currency is our time. And so if we're spending all of our time testing, we're not shipping features. And so there is a priority. It's all just writing code. It's like, what are you spending time writing code doing? I would suggest if you don't want to lose your job and you're a manual tester, then start learning how to automate some of your work. You'll be in a much better position. I think that applies to any job in the tech world. Automate what you're doing, make yourself more productive, but then also recognize when automated testing is worthwhile. I think it's hard to get the QAs on board because they're the first to say no because they're used to doing it this way and people don't like change. So you tell them they've got to change and everything they've learned now has to go in the bin and they've got to do this instead and they don't want to, right? And that's normal. So it's kind of like, show them something and say, hey, just give it a try. Give it two weeks and come back. And in two weeks time, tell me what you think. Doing proof of concept, automating some of the boring parts, having QAs kind of modify those tests when needed as a maintenance, it eliminates this fear. Oh, this is completely different skill set. I don't understand. And then you'll like figure out it's the same skill set. See if application works with different inputs, happy paths, edge cases, handling of errors. It's just automation is your servant. Ultimately, it's the servant and it's pretty dumb one, right? Because it only knows how to do the things you showed it. We always fight non-deterministic tests when something changes, even the smallest change. And I know Kent will say, you know, you're not selecting the elements right. But still, like the label changes and all of a sudden everything is broken. And it's like, yeah, because your automated tests, despite being fast and never sleeping, they are worse than like one-year-old. They cannot deal with anything new. 
So maybe once we get chat GPT or open AI into the testing, it will be possible to maintain. But for now, a human intelligence is the king. Everything else is just a tool. We have a few more questions, but before we get into those final questions, if you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us tailor the content that you want to hear. One of the reasons we're doing this mailbag episode right now is because you guys said, I have no idea what we're doing about testing. And you told us, please follow us. Please let us know what you want to hear. And this is why we're doing our testing mailbag right now. We're going to go through a couple more. We had one from Gabriel who started working at a new company this year that had no unit tests and decided to start testing using React testing library. While they were able to configure everything, they still encounter multiple issues like cyclic imports that make Jess break, but work perfectly fine in a dev prod. So understanding this, how can devs make testing more streamlined or effective without the fear of breaking their testing tools? Perhaps we could rephrase the question into mm -hmm. just like general tips for incorporating React testing library. From our experience at LogRocket, we're starting to move to it as well. And then one roadblock that we've encountered is like some of our components are really big. So it's hard to effectively unit test something that is just doing so much. And so we found like breaking components down into just more bite-sized pieces that are doing one thing has helped. But I'm curious, Kent, if you had any other tips, like how to dip our toes into a React testing library. I definitely have tips. Unfortunately, I do have a blog post. I say unfortunately because this blog post shouldn't exist, but it does. It's called Common Mistakes with Testing Library. And if there are common mistakes, then the library authors should make it so that those mistakes aren't possible. But sometimes you just can't do that. And so there are just a bunch of suggestions of things that you can do to avoid common mistakes. As far as what to do with components that are doing a lot, I actually am okay with components that do a lot. I don't mind having really big components that are covering a lot of ground. I prefer to have most of my tests render higher up in the tree than test a button component. Like I don't care about testing the button component. I'll cover that in my test of the components that use the button component. Sometimes the challenge though can be that there's a lot of setup that needs to happen to be able to get to a particular code path. And in those cases, yes, I do see breaking things up, but you want to make sure that you break things up by concern rather than just like saying, oh, this is a hook. I'm going to go put it in a custom hook. Like people make these rules about never using a built-in React hook inside of a React component. They always make a custom hook. And that's the worst rule I can imagine. It's such a bad idea. Don't do that. You're totally fine using raw React hooks in your React components. However, I can definitely see there can be multiple concerns in a single component. Like this is the code that's responsible for keeping the document title up to date. Here's the code that's responsible for keeping us subscribed to the Firebase endpoint or whatever. Like there can be multiple concerns in a single component and breaking those out, I think makes complete sense. And then you can test those individually. React testing library does have a built-in mechanism for testing hooks as well. So if you want to be that granular, I typically recommend against doing that. You want to test the component that's using the hook. But if it's a highly reusable hook, then that makes a lot of sense to test there as well. So yeah, other than that, the blog post has a lot of really good tips. One of the big ones is the ESLint plugin that the community has put together. That will help guide you in your use of testing library as well. So I recommend giving the ESLint plugin a look as well. Don't use just one tool, right? It seems like you concentrate on unit testing, but like Ken said, bring a linter. 
that type of testing. Uh, maybe consider using TypeScript. That will catch errors that are super hard to test through just component testing. Uh, bring component testing or even end-to-end -end testing because a lot of times setting up, let's say, routing in your unit test is just so much code for zero payoff or very little payoff, but end-to-end -end test that actually visits the page, goes from page to page, exercising the full functionality actually makes perfect sense and is super easy to write. And another thing, it sounds like in your situations, you have some cryptic errors. So if you have cryptic errors with any of the testing tools, check if you are on the latest versions. Sometimes you let you know the testing tools get very old and obsolete and you struggle with them. And those problems might be already solved. You just have to upgrade your Jest version, your testing library version, or any other uh, versions, including maybe React itself that you use. I think we like grew up with the testing triangle where end-to-end -end tests were like the smallest part of that triangle. But I think that's changing now. And it's like more end-to-end -end tests and less unit tests. I completely agree. And actually, I came up with the testing trophy as a mechanism for saying, hey, no, your integration test should be the bigger chunk. And honestly, the testing tools have gotten so good that my trophy is a little more top heavy than it used to be. I've always been of the opinion that if you only write one test, it should be end to end 100%. Like that is a no brainer. And when you start testing in a new project, the first test should be an end to end test, 100%. And then the second test should be a low level unit test, just so that you can get those tools set up. And then you fill in the middle with integration tests. But in any case, I really prefer those those higher level tests, because maybe they do require a little bit more setup because you do have to think about, well, my database or my HTTP mocking or something. That's the sort of setup that you just do in one place. And then everything else just references that setup. And so once you have that setup, then you're good. And maybe the tests don't run quite as fast, but they give you so much more confidence. And so I'm not against unit testing, especially for complex logic. I prefer just like these pure functions that unit test the heck out of that. That's fine. But most of the tests that I write are integration or end to end, these higher level things that step back from the implementation as far as possible. Somewhat in the same vein, but going off of what you were just talking about, like unit tests and integration tests, what are some good tips for actually writing the integration tests after you've already written the unit tests? One thing that people sometimes are worried about is over-testing, and this totally happens. You write a bunch of unit tests, and then you write an integration test, and it turns out that the integration test does everything that the unit test, like it gives you all the same confidence that the unit test did, which is one of the reasons why I typically start with the integration test. And then I go for unit tests when I can see in my coverage that, oh, there are a bunch of branches in this code that I'm not covering. And it doesn't really make sense to set up everything just so I can cover those branches in eight tests or something. So I'll just test that separately. That's fine. You do want to have the integration test because it checks your integration between the higher level stuff and the lower level stuff. The other thing, this may or may not be totally related to the question, but this is just something else that's on my mind is that, and a lot of people still don't know this, I don't know why, but testing library is not just for React. So there's Vue testing library, there's Svelte testing library, Angular testing library, but there's also a Cypress testing library. And there used to be a Playwright testing library, but Playwright just thought it was such a good idea that they built in even better implementation of these queries. And so if you're really enjoying React testing library, you should give those queries a look in these other tools as well, because it's just as great over there too. <laughs> and it's a nice, easy way of writing tests because it's easy to read and makes sense. Yeah. 
And it gives you a lot of confidence, especially if you're using the by role query, you're getting accessibility confidence, you're looking up the accessible name and stuff. So yeah, it improves the accessibility of your app too. The only advice I'll give is make sure you know what the tests should expect to see on a page. Very often you have this if else conditions in the test because you're not sure what the app will actually show you. For example, if you're testing a to-do application, you say, visit the page, if there are items, then delete the first one. But if there are no items, create an item and then delete it. And this is wrong because you might get into a situation where there is always an item. So you never actually tested creating an item yourself. You missed the whole path. You have to control the data. So set up some marking, set up the data, visit the page and know I will have three items. That's it. If there are no items or 10 items when something is wrong and the test fails right away, there should be no if else conditions in your test, but look at the state of a, you know, your page application and decide what to do next. If there is a button, I'll click on it. No. Why don't you know if there is a button? You might be uh, missing something. Okay. So make sure the test are completely deterministic. Always do one thing, one path. And if you need something else, then write a second test that follows another path, but knows exactly to follow just that second path. Any parting words that you want to send to our listeners about testing or any words of wisdom that you want to give before we head out? I would say don't be afraid to give testing a go. If you've never tested before, use a tool such as Playwright that is very easy to get started and just test one thing and then come out and say, well, I've tested that and then move on. Don't like take the biggest challenge. Just take a small thing and start with that and just start getting testing happening. I'll say Investing just a little bit of time to train, right, with a professional or free course will pay off 10 times, maybe 100 times. The best investment you can make is train yourself on how to use modern testing tools and then apply that knowledge. Because I see a lot of people just struggling with basics because they never took time to really master them and then apply them. Instead, they're trying to improvise. And that's just a source of problems. And read Ken's blog posts. (laughs) (laughs) I just shared a a link that hopefully we can get in the notes that is, it just searches all of my uh, website's content on testing. This is not only in blog posts, but also podcast episodes and talks and things. And one thing in there that I think is a really simple piece of advice, but we overlook it a lot, is make sure that your test can fail. (laughs) So you write the test, you think like it's green, go to the code that you're trying to test and break it intentionally and make sure that your test fails because you may not actually be testing what you think you are. So that's a really simple piece of advice that I think would be good. And then for anybody who's listening, who is uncertain on testing and just barely getting into this, we welcome you. And I have a blog post called Demystifying Testing that will give you a really nice introduction to what automated testing is. And then that's a really nice lead into testingjavascript.com where I can teach you everything that I know about testing. So give that a look too. And get your whole team. Like if you're a manual QA team that you want to start getting into automated testing, testingjavascript.com will get you going. And I think you'd really like that. In that same vein, Debbie or Gleb, is there anything you want to promote before we close out so people can find you? Ooh, oh, you caught me on the spot, right? <laughs> I, I really, uh, no, you can find me at gleb.dev. That's my site. Links to everything I've done from there. 
You can find me on Debbie.codes. And my site is open source. It's all built in Next 3. And I have tests on there as well. So clone it, play around with it and do whatever you want with it. Awesome. Well, thank you all for joining us today. We'll also have all of your socials in the show notes so people can follow you on Twitter, GitHub, wherever. Thank you again for joining us. And if you're listening and you have a specific question about web development, it doesn't have to just be testing. We're going to be putting together a UI UX mailbag episode. So if you have any questions about that, you can message me on Twitter at Emily K. Kettner. We'll also put that in the show notes and we might feature your question in a future episode. So thank you all for joining us today uh, and have a great day. Thank you. See thank ya. you. Bye-bye. Bye.